Welcome back. This is Dr. Jim Schrader, and we have reached our 49th podcast of Living a Whole Christian Life. It's great to be back with you as we round out the final few podcasts of our series. So we talked so much about the framework and just the foundation of living a whole Christian life. And we've spent time in each of the dimensions, the social dimension, the physical dimension, and the psychological dimension. And so as we get to our final few podcasts, we're really going to come back to pulling it all together and what it means to live a whole Christian life. And today we're going to start with something, and I want to start with a Bible quote that so many of us know full well. And the quote is this from the New Testament. From noon onward, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's one of the most common questions in the entire world, right? The most common human just considerations that we all have, which is that why question. Why does this have to happen? Why is my child this way? Why did you do that? Why am I here? We, it's hard for us as human beings to ever get away from that question. I think it brings us solace that Jesus himself struggled with this question at various points of his ministry and even moments before he passed on. And I think this is the thing that, you know, we find ourselves, it, it's so innate within us. And in fact, it really pulls within all of these dimensions to consider the why, the why behind who we are, the why behind where we're going, the why behind why have things again happened to me this way. It was years ago, I was sitting down with a mom of a child that I had just diagnosed with an intellectual disability. And, you know, for years, mom knew that, that something was wrong and this child was behind other children her age. And, and yet, there was something about getting that diagnosis that I think particularly hit this mother like many of us would understand. And I just remember distinctly being in my office and she's sitting there and tears are streaming down her face. And her, and her question is, why? Again, why, why did this happen? Like, did I do something wrong? Like, there's often, I think, a lot of guilt that's associated with this why question that's so hard for us as parents many times, too, about, you know, were we involved? Did we make a wrong choice or whatever? But as she's just crying and, and kind of trying to come to terms with this, the sense was, you know, why does my child have to struggle in this way? Like, why, why did this happen in the first place? And the, the, one of the hardest things for me as a psychologist is not to have good answers to this question. In fact, when it comes to kids with intellectual disabilities, we know that first and foremost, 40% of them have no known cause for this condition. We look at it as idiosyncratic. There's not a genetic link. There's not a clear explanation. But even in the cases where there is, even if with a child that has, let's say, Down syndrome or, or there is a clear explanation, the question of why still remains, right? We may not have an answer to even what's going on, but it doesn't change the question of why. So here we are, confronted with this just most common, most just innate human consideration. And we come to this point because there's so much suffering in the world. I think this is probably one of the most common questions asked within the Christian world. And honestly, I think it's one of the most common reasons that people often reject our Christian faith because we struggle oftentimes to have great answers to this question. You know, we could talk a lot about struggles and even the ways in which they can help form us or bring us closer to God. But I think if we're all honest about this, 
many times we think, you know, isn't there a better way to go about this? Like, do we have to have a fallen world in many ways? Do we have to have struggles that are inherent? So there are there were two researchers years ago who set out from a secular side to really look at kind of this question in general about not so much, you know, having the answer to why, but what happens when we keep asking that question. And these researchers by the name of Camille Workman and Roxanne Silver had a series of landmark pioneering studies where they asked thousands and thousands of people to describe how they dealt with various tragic events. And this, you know, the tragic events may have been death of a loved one, may have been incest, may have been a chronic illness. Maybe it was their home was destroyed from a fire or an other natural disaster. But what they found was really, really important. And that is that three groups generally emerged from all of these tragic events in regards to the way that they dealt with things. The first group came to kind of a simple causal explanation. And again, these these explanations varied quite widely. But this first group basically said, this is why I believed this occurred. And, And some of them had religious reasons and some of them had very very much unreligious reasons, but they kind of came to believe that this was the reason why it had occurred. And in taking that explanation, they worked to kind of move forward, again, move forward in in their own unique way as things had changed dramatically. The second group really didn't ever look for an explanation. It's interesting that these people, for various reasons, not that they didn't consider it at all, but they really didn't spend much time thinking that there was a clear explanation or a reason why something tragic and horrible occurred. They had just simply kind of said, you know what, it happens. Life can be very difficult. You know, the story of our lives have struggles and, and they have challenges. And for us to kind of understand that is probably beyond our grasp. And so this group just said, you know, I'm kind of looking to move forward in a unique new way without a clear explanation. But there was a third group that just kept asking the why question. You know, again, why me? Or why did this have to happen in the first place? And this third group really perseverated on trying to understand the reasons behind the tragedies themselves. And they they never really got over that. They never really stopped asking the why question. So these two researchers set out to, you know, beyond looking at the ways in which people dealt with things in these kind of three general ways, they also asked the question, how do people do in these three groups? How do they progress physically and psychologically and going forward in regards to kind of landing in one of these three areas? And what they found, I think, is really critical for all of us, no matter where you find yourself on the landscape of dealing with struggles, which is that the first two groups, you know, the group that came up with kind of a simple, clear causal explanation and the group that just said, I don't think there's any way we can ever know why it happened, but I'm also looking to kind of move forward in just the way that I need to. Those first two groups tended to be rather resilient and they tended to do rather well. And it's not to say that they didn't struggle in certain ways with understandable grief or or initial challenges. But in the long term, the first two groups did rather well. But it was this third group that continued to struggle. The group that kept asking why, what they found was that they really had increased struggles physically and psychologically, even socially, in many ways, in trying to move forward. And so, you know, I think as we reflect on this, it's just, again, important to say it's very natural for us to early in life, have kind of dreams and expectations about where we hope life will lead us, right? I think that I can think of my wife, for example, who from a very early age really, really wanted to be a mom. And she she just had the sense that she wanted to have a large family. And early on when it was challenging for us to, to have kids, 
um, I could see a lot of despair in her in those situation because she started to, you know, worry that her dream may become unraveled. And we've all had these expect these situations, right? Where you know we we have this initial vision, an idea, and dream, and then we get really nervous that it may not work out or or something changes that. So I think it's important to be patient with ourselves. It's important to be patient with others that if they don't seem to be moving along as well as we think they should, well, you know what? It's hard to be in their place. In fact, it's impossible to be in their place. And so we can have empathy for them, but we have to understand that everyone has a different timeline to some extent. And yet, here's the key about this. Here's a really important thing to consider, which is that when our vision, you know, when our dreams are no longer possible, We are faced with a choice, right? An unenviable one, one that we probably never wanted. And here's the choice. Do we accept a new vision, one that was not intended and maybe desired in the first place? Or do we cling to the one that has shattered in the midst of what's happened? I think that that is one of the probably most challenging situations of our entire lives, right? Is the sense of recognizing that what I wanted is no longer available to me. And now I have this choice in front of me. Do I accept that there is a new pathway to still find joy and peace and harmony and happiness? Or do I cling to the old one that I had that's no longer possible? And so this is where the question of what we do with that why question kind of merges into the question of what is next. And it carries what what the researchers found is it really does carry quite a price to hang on to the why even though it's very much human nature, even though we get, it's understandable that we would do this. And it brings us back to so much of what we've talked about in this podcast, which is that the real question is, where do we focus our energy, right? Do we focus it on things that we can control, you know, and being a co-partner with God? Or does it, do we focus our energies on things that are beyond our control, either things that have happened in the past or things that are really frustrating us about the current situation that we live in? but yet are beyond what we can change. And I think that that's, that's the essence of so much about this, this series, so much about living a whole Christian life really boils down to this question. Because in the end of the day, it really is about giving back to God what is beyond our control and owning what is within our control. I mean, I want to say that again. It's really about giving back to God what is beyond our control and owning what is within our control. And as I've argued at the podcast previously, I think we spend so much time oftentimes in perseverating on the things that we simply can't do something about, and we don't spend nearly enough time focusing our energies and our efforts and our habits on what God does make available to us to work through difficult situations. You know, think about that. Think about, you know, anytime you've gone through a real difficult situation and whatever tragedy it is or chronic situation, it's easy to kind of belabor that. But, you know, I feel like God is saying to us in the process, hey, look, look at the ways that you're sleeping and you're eating and you're moving. Look at the ways that you're using this natural world. Look at the ways you're using silence or not. Look at, look at all the ways you're able to write and express your thoughts. So many of the things that we've talked about throughout this podcast, I still give those to you. I give those to available to you even in the midst of such hard times and difficult situations, because I want you to know that you were created to be a resilient being. 
And I really believe that. In fact, the Bible talks about that so many times that think about the apostles, how many times they failed over and over again. And yet God kept saying, look, I'm going to equip you with things that allow you to be resilient. That, you know, after the crucifixion, you ran away in despair that all was lost. And yet I kept coming back to you. And not only to come back to you to show you that I was still there, but to prove to you that through me, the grace of God and the grace of our Savior, that you can rise through and within and beyond these circumstances that would look like that they are going to limit or derail you altogether. And so that's where we are here. And you know, it's interesting when I think about my work as a child psychologist and with children on the autism spectrum, because here's something I want, I want to kind of engender to all of you, because I think it goes way beyond this one example in regards to kind of a truth about life, which is that, you know, often parents of great intent for kids on the spectrum do everything possible to provide the services for them you know, that they need, or I should say access the services, you know, whether it's speech therapy or OT, occupational therapy or whatever it is, they work really, really hard to do that. But I've noticed something really interesting that the kids on the spectrum who tend to do the best have the parents who put just as much priority in taking care of their own well-being and the well-being of the relationship with the other parent and the other siblings as they do taking care of the child on the spectrum themselves. And that might sound a little counterintuitive, but I think if you consider it more, it's in essence saying, you can't provide the things for me unless you provide for yourself through the grace of God the things that you need to sustain the trials that are going to come to you inevitably. And so that that is a theme throughout life that we recognize that if we don't have the base of resiliency and that we don't use the things that God affords us in our lives to provide for that, then how really are we going to weather the storms of whatever kind there are to be able to come back to the place of a sense of peace and a sense of promise and a sense of purpose? So let's think about that for a second. And beyond that, I want us to consider something else. And this is one of the most powerful examples. I think I've mentioned this in the podcast prior, but I want us to consider the example again of Viktor Frankl. And in 1997, at the age of 92, it was that Holocaust survivor, Viktor Frankl, who passed away 45 years after he was liberated from the concentration camps. His parents, his brother, and his wife never made it out of those camps. But by the time he had died, his memoir, Man's Search for Meaning, had sold over 10 million copies and had been translated into 24 languages. He had received an average of over 20 letters a day during his final years, mostly thanking him for changing the lives of those who read his book. His family members would continue to receive these letters long after he passed. And Logo, what's called Logotherapy, developed by Frankel, as a means of treating a number of psychological conditions, became known the world over from this Holocaust survivor. It's based on the idea that life has meaning even in the worst situations, even when we can't understand why things happened at all. And Frankel would say we're always free to seek out this meaning throughout our life. And he believed that there are three basic ways to find the meaning inherent in all of us. The first is in our service to others. That Again, as we've described before in this podcast, it's the sense that we matter to other people. No matter what's gone on with us and with them, 
that we can matter to people that we might not even really know, but people just like ourselves. The second thing he would say that we can find this meaning is in our personal encounter or true experiencing of the element of the now, the experience of our environment and our world around us, the experience of each other, the experience of God in the space that he created in this remarkable universe. And finally, he would say that you find meaning in your attitude towards unavoidable suffering. He was quoted as saying, as I tell people, this remains probably the most important quote of my entire life. He said, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's own attitude in any given set of circumstances. If you think about it, Frankel had every reason to live out his entire life asking the why question. But in learning so much more about him as I have over the past 15 years, I realized that his life really actually became much about three things. The first it became was about forgiveness. And from the beginning of the moments that he left those camps, Frankel talked about the need to find forgiveness for the people who had committed these atrocities, these horrific things, not just to his family and friends, but to millions of others. And he lived out his life with a sense that you cannot go on in the way that you know, you're called, that God calls us, if you don't learn to forgive continually and ongoing in whatever situations there are. The other thing about Frankel, the second thing I learned that his life became so much about was about gratitude. Again, not gratitude for the horrible things and the atrocities that were committed, but gratitude for the goodness that he received from others and from the world around him, even in the midst of the horror. It's so interesting reading about as he, he went forward and moved through and on past what happened, that he continued to find gratitude and joy in so many of the things that he did. There was a neat thing in his recent autobiography that he did towards the end of his life. And he talked about being in those camps and imagining how neat it would be to deliver a lecture to people in a university setting. He was grateful even for that opportunity, that idea that that could be possible. And finally, and I think just as importantly as anything, Frankel focused on what all of us need to really consider, which is to focus on what I can control and letting go of what I can't. And so you might find yourself today, wherever you're at, questioning why. Why, Lord? Why is this happening? Why did this go on? Why? why? I don't understand. And I wish that we had better answers. But in the end of the day, in the spirit of Frankel, let's think of the forgiveness Let's think of the gratitude that is possible and the goodness that we have received. And let's think about focusing on what we can control as a co-partner with God in this world and letting go of what we can't. This is Jim Schrader. Be holy. Be whole.